We want to take the opportunity to talk about college fit. We know we are talking about students spending four years in this college environment, and fit is essential, especially coming from Oakcrest with a focus on the development of the whole person. We know that four years where you live and study is important. Our goal for this evening is to talk about fit. How do you find it? How does college counseling help you as parents discern fit for your daughters? I want you to be encouraged tonight in the ways that you can help your daughter approach the college counseling process. Tonight, we will take a step back and look at college counseling highlights and trends. We are also going to look at priorities, which can be very important in constructing your college list. Your priorities in looking for a college fit for your daughter might be very different from the person sitting next to you. It might even be very different from your daughter's priorities at this time. <laughs> we will segue into the importance of the courtship between your daughter and her preferred university. And we will give you an overview of our college counseling program and academic advising program. We also have resources for you to take home at the back table. And you also have a copy of our presentation slides. We are very pleased that every single one of our senior applicants from the class of 2020 applied to a university by an early action deadline or by a November 1st deadline. And we are seeing students apply to a larger number of schools in the early rounds. In some cases, this can be more than half of their university list. We are seeing many benefits to applying early. Benefits include the fact that students are signaling early that they see the university as a good fit. Students are eligible for more scholarship consideration. And thirdly, in many instances, we are seeing a higher likelihood of admission in the early action cycle. Of course, through applying early, students are also hearing back earlier, and that helps give them peace of mind, especially if they hear back before Christmas break. We saw a record number of students apply early decision this year, and that was 34% applied either ED1 or ED2 more than twice as many as those who applied early decision last year. We know that early decision can be the right decision for some students and can help, in some cases, chances of admission. But if the student wants to weigh pros or cons, it's not the right decision. In many cases, students don't quite know that yet. We will talk about the courtship of the university but early decision is essentially the marriage. The student is promising they will attend if admitted. As you and your daughter think about the ideal college fit, you determine your college priorities. We have program of study listed here, which may or may not be very important on this priority list for you. In our junior, in your juniors, in our work with our juniors, 
Uh, we are already seeing a big variety of major interest. We have many students that aren't sure what they want to major in. That's perfectly fine. But we also have students that are interested in interior design, in architecture, in marine biology, to name a few. And so this priority for some is very important. When we talk about fit, it's important that we keep in mind that applications may be reviewed differently based on the program of study indicated. And this means that it's appropriate for your daughter to ask, how do you view an applicant to the architecture program? When you review the transcript of a computer science major, are you looking for particular strengths? Are you looking for particular courses? We had a financial aid presentation in the fall, and we invite experts on college funding to address this point of financial fit, which is very important. I probably hear most often from parents that the environment is a very large consideration. And by that, we mean the life of the school, the community of the school, the location. What is dorm life like? Are there single gender dorms? Are there, is there an option? Is there single uh, sex by floor? We are emphasizing the importance of lifelines. And so this could mean that there's a campus ministry, that there's a relative nearby, that someone knows another student in the school. Prestige is listed here as well and may or may not be important. Prestige means that I know the name of the university and the fact that I know the name is important to me. It may or may not be important in terms of career outcomes. And sometimes prestige or reputation can be a distraction. I highly recommend the book, Where You Go Is Not Who You'll Be. And that really goes to the heart of what is prestige all about. So these priorities up here, although it's a bullet point list, they're not listed in any particular order. What would be your first priority? Think about what do you think is not as important? And would your daughter have the same priorities? It is important that your daughter engages with the university. Before submitting an application, your daughter should familiarize herself with the ways in which the university is a match for her. This is what is meant by the courtship. Your daughter can demonstrate interest by visiting the school and start to evaluate if she sees this as a home, if she sees herself learning and thriving there. Visit while the school is in session rather than the summer. Between junior and senior year, students have five excused absences for college visit days. Students simply bring the completed form to college counseling. If students are concerned about falling behind in schoolwork, there are other days that might work well for your schedule where Oakcrest is not in session, but universities are, such as Columbus Day, Veterans Day, President's Day, or our Easter break. We encourage your daughters to go beyond the tour, if at all possible. In addition to registering for a tour and information session, your daughter can see if it is possible to sit in on a class or to meet with a specific department. 
The student drives this process of the courtship with the university, and sometimes even opening up an email and reading an email is part of the courtship. So at this time, I would like Catherine to tell us about our academic advising and college counseling program. Thank you. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks. At the heart of Oakcrest's mission is a call to help students thrive, to cultivate their talents, and train them all to become leaders in whatever they choose to do. Um, so everything that we do in academic advising and college counseling is aimed toward the, the portrait of the Oakcrest Oak graduate. Um, Self-knowledge, uh, pursuing lifelong learning, and um, uh, collaboration. So um, academic advising has been put in place as sort of a link between your daughter's coursework and her transition to college. Um, and we start in ninth grade by meeting with your students. Marianne and I are currently meeting with ninth graders and we are talking about course selection for 10th grade um, and just starting to talk to them about college, hopefully without scaring them too much. Um, what we're telling them in ninth grade is this is not the time to be doing prep classes or deciding on a major or starting that list, um, but it's the time of exploration. We discuss 10th grade courses and we're encouraging them to challenge themselves, especially in areas where they have a special interest or maybe a natural ability. Um, and start thinking about what these, these strengths and interests might mean down the line. Um, we talk about the summer being a great time to do more exploration, maybe um, shadowing a, a family friend who is a, is a lawyer or taking a course in computer programming. It's a great time to, to try new things. Um, and a, as we do the academic advising and help them ch choose their classes, we are looking at the, the long-term path to graduation. And so if we hear a student in ninth grade saying, you know, I, I don't know, I might, might be interested in engineering, we want to make sure that we are encouraging her to take the most rigorous math and science classes that she can take. If a student thinks, ah, maybe, maybe law school or a PhD in English, then we're gonna encourage her to build up her, the courses that challenge her to read critically and to write ex uh, persuasively. Um, and, and I mentioned the, the summer plans. None of this at this point is to check off things on your college applications. I did that summer program, so I can put that on my college application. It's really to help her get to know herself better, to know what her strengths are. We had um, a student, maybe it was, it was last year, who thought she wanted to go into nursing. So she did a summer program in nursing and came to the realization that actually the sight of blood kind of freaked her out. So she's like, yep, so much for that. And that's, I mean, that's an important thing to, to realize early on. Um, in 10th grade, we bring parents in with the students and we start to talk more specifically about your daughter's goals, maybe a couple ideas of, of colleges if she knows for sure, like I definitely don't wanna go there. And we have our, our checklist and timeline of what happens at each point during 10th grade. Um, junior year is really when it, this all starts happening. So by the time we meet with, you, with parents and students again in December of junior year, at that point your daughters probably have a little better sense of, of kind of the, the general direction they're headed. Um, as Marianne mentioned, more students are applying 
to earlier and earlier deadlines. UVA this year brought back their early decision and it's an October 15th deadline, which is so early. Um, I mean, you, when a student starts school in, in September, that's just a month before everything has to be, to be in. So to meet that, we are moving the whole process up beginning earlier in junior year. Um, we've already met with all of our juniors and their parents. They, the girls have already um, gotten teacher recommendations. They've requested teacher recommendations. They've started the Common App Activities list, and um, we are getting started on the essay in April. The goal is to have those three parts, the recommendations, the Common App, and the essay done by the end of junior year so that that summer you can maybe visit a couple more places, do some polishing. There might be supplemental essays that you can start working on, but that the bulk of the work and the testing is done before the start of senior year. Uh, teacher recommendations. I want to talk about this because this, I think, is, is a real... Um, it's a labor of love and it's something that Oakcrest does really well. We, we get two recommendations for each student and these are not these sort of vague, oh, she's a great student, she's bright, she's hardworking, but we have, they are highly personalized. Um, we review, Mary Ann and I review every letter that we send off and Mary Ann writes her counselor letter of recommendation for every student. Because um, we want to make sure that we are making the best possible case for your student. Uh, for the counselor letter of recommendation that Marianne writes, we host a, it's the Rising Senior Brag Party, where we get all the faculty who have upper, upper school students and have known them from ninth through 12th grade. And one of the teachers is appointed the secretary and she takes notes, usually on the laptop, and then she sends out the Google document. And one by one, we go through each student and the teachers will shout out, you know, I had her in whatever class and I remember she had this amazing project or I walked in and she was talking about something with another student. And, you know, we're keeping notes of these so that that can, those pieces of information go into the counselor recommendation. So when, when colleges read this, they know that we know these students and we have concrete examples of what they've brought to the community. Um, Mary Ann's counselor letter really speaks to the, the, what a student can contribute to, to the environment, to the school community, and that is what admissions reps, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong maybe later, but that's what they want to know. What is the student going to bring to our school? What kind of, what kind of, um, student, peer, friend is she, is she going to be? Um, finally, the college essay. And this is sort of where academic advising, Oakcrest wonderful teachers, and college counseling all come together to write this amazing personal statement is what it's called in the, um, in the Common App. Um, when we meet with juniors and we ask, we have a form that they all fill out and we ask them, you know, what are, what, what are you most worried about? It's not, well, sometimes it's my grades, but it's, it's, it's not grades or testing or letters of recommendation, but it's the essay. And what they say is, you know, I don't even, what are they even looking for in an essay? What am I supposed to write about? Nothing bad has ever happened to me. I have nothing to write about, or I, don't, I have no idea how to even get started. Um, so this April, we are spending an entire day with the juniors working on the essay. Um, Mary Ann and I are actually getting trained in a 
it's, it's a system of essay writing called the WOW Essay Writing Workshop, and we have to go through the whole process of writing an essay. So it's been a while for me, but I'm game <laughs> to try. I'm kind of wondering, I'm, I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna write about, but so we'll learn how to help the students brainstorm and start organizing it, and um, how to help them edit, how to not help them edit. Um, and on the back table there is a guide. It's the WOW Essay Writing Workshop Guide for Parents. Um, you might want to take a look at that book, and you can order on it. It's like 10 bucks on Amazon. And it talks about how you can help your student write an essay and what you shouldn't do, when you should step back, when you should leave it alone, when you should stop passing the essay around to everybody and, um, and stop getting input. So, um, so that's, that's in April. And then in the fall, we'll have another full day of working on applications for students, whether it's on the supplemental essays, tweaking some of the, um, their, their personal statement, or even fine-tuning their, their college list, and that'll be, that'll be in October, another full day. But in the meantime, as Marianne said, we are always, we're accessible, we have students coming in with scholarship applications that they need help with and other, other things that they're working on, and they know that they can come and, and find us and we're, we're happy to help. Um, so that's, that's an overview of sort of the, the academic advising that, that segues into the college counseling. So Marianne will get back up here and talk about specifically what, what we do to help you, your daughters find, find the right fit. Thank you, Catherine. So what does Ocrest do to help your daughter find the right fit? First of all, we do have up-to-date college counseling resources and guides in our college counseling suite. And we know that everything is available online. We know that there are wonderful searches out there. Um, but still, it's very handy, very tangible, and helpful for our students to be able to pick up those books and resources. Um, in addition, we receive many materials from admissions in the fall, and sometimes it becomes on a daily basis that we have new publications and um, new insights to share with our students. In the junior year, students can attend rep visits in the fall. And so this is when the admissions representative visits from the university. And in many cases, this representative is exactly the person who will be reviewing our applications. If the student is interested in a particular college, the rep visit should be considered a must-attend event. It's a wonderful way for students to see if this is a good fit, if they continue to be interested in the colleges. We host an alumni college fair, and this is an annual event, and so we see where Okies have gone on to college and what they have to say about their experiences, what they have to say about the university, what they're majoring in, or if they've changed their major, can they take advantage of different internships, and so that's been very helpful for our students to, again, get a sense of lifelines and where are Okies going on and where are they thriving. In addition to our essay writing workshop that Catherine mentioned, we have ongoing college application support and we are highly accessible to students as they have questions and as they tweak those um, applications. We know that it is very important to think about this topic of fit because we want to be able to ask, we want our students to be able to ask 
will I feel comfortable and where will I do very well in my college years? And to break this down a little bit more specifically, let's ask ourselves a question. When you visit campus, how can you get a sense of the community? The college search is not just about getting in, it's about getting to graduation, it's about thriving. And our guests will help us achieve this goal. We have bios in the program, and we are very thankful that Will Stratton and Greta Haussmann are here this evening to tell us about their distinct roles in the universities. Our guests will speak about their roles, and I will ask them a few questions. And you all have note cards. You have a note card on, um, on your chair, and you will be able to write down any questions that you have for our speakers as well. I invited Greta because of her unique role as the Assistant Director of Campus Events at the Catholic University of America. I want her to tell us about her perspective and how to get a sense of the campus community, even as you attend a visit or just begin to connect with the school. I invite you to come up here, Greta. Good evening. Good evening, and thank you for having me. My name is Greta, and I work at Catholic University. Um, my distinct role is in the Office of Campus Activities, so I work directly with our over 120 student organizations, but I work very closely with our programming board, and those are the students who plan all the fun events that you hear about happening at universities, concerts, movie nights, paint nights. We're having a silent disco in a couple weeks, and I'm sure those aren't the first things that you're thinking about when you're thinking about college you're thinking about majors grades classes and of course that's all important but we still have to create outlets for our students um, and that's why we try to have a bunch of different events so that we can bring in different students and connect them with the resources that we have in our office that's always our goal when we're planning our yearly calendars if we're going to have a more artistic event this week what can we do next week to bring more of the athletes or more of the you know um classroom-minded students into our settings. Like, what are they going to like? Um, and we love seeing different students at our events. Um, we always try to take stock of that. We grab statistics at the end of the year to see who's coming to our events. Um, and are they coming into this, the Office of Campus Activities afterwards? Are they asking us what student organizations we have? Are they asking to join Program Board? Because that's where we see our students come alive. We really value the involvement outside the classroom. A lot of our students choose their career path based off of some involvement that they had, not necessarily based off of their major, especially at a liberal arts university like Catholic. I studied theology. I thought I wanted to work directly in a parish. I did that one summer. I did not enjoy it at all. I freaked out a little bit junior year. I was like, well, this is a silly major to have. Um, but then I really enjoyed being an RA. I really enjoyed working in campus activities and all of the clubs that I was in, and that's how I ended up getting my master's degree and that's what I do every day. So I think we put a lot of stress on what happens inside the classroom, but our students have to have other outlets, other places where they can grow and learn. And that experiential learning piece is really what my role is there to cultivate and my office in general. Thank you. Thank you so much, Greta. Um, I'm next happy to introduce Will Stratton. As the Assistant Director of Admissions at the University of Lynchburg, he can share his perspective on admissions review. The University of Lynchburg is also a CTCL school, or Colleges That Change Lives school, 
And Will, I will ask you to speak about your perspective from the University of, of Lynchburg and your um, role there, as well as what it means to be a CTCL school. Thank you. Well, good evening. Thank you all for having me here today. So if you're kind of wondering, have I heard of this University of Lynchburg place that sounds remotely familiar? We were known for many years as Lynchburg College. Uh, the name changed about a year and a half ago. And really quickly, the reason we did that is because people simply didn't know all that we had to offer. We've had enough undergrad and grad programs where that name change could have occurred far um, before it actually did, but it got to the point where we wanted to best kind of tell people what we had to offer. So that's who we are. But um, when talking about what we do in admissions in general, I find that it's easiest to start by saying what admissions is not. And first and foremost, we're not salespeople, at least we try not to be. We want to help students find the right fit. I think the worst thing that can happen is for a student to come to any school and then leave. That means at some point something went wrong. So it's very much in our best interest to help students find the right fit. So I always tell families that I'm going to be as honest with you as I possibly can because it's not in my benefit to tell you something that's not true because retention is really important to us. So we're not salespeople. But secondly, most of us are not in this to turn people away. I think a lot of people think that admissions people sit in some sort of dark and dingy basement and look for reasons to decline students. And that's not the case either, you know. Um, it, it brings us no joy when we have to say no. Unfortunately, that's a part of this uh, process, and it's a part of finding that right fit. But again, I think that most people in admissions see this as a helping profession. We want to help students find that fit, connect with the right institution, and go on to do really amazing things. This is my fifth year in admissions, which means that this spring, the first class of students that I recruited in high school are going to graduate, which is kind of a weird concept. But it's also going to be really rewarding because I remember seeing them as high schoolers and they weren't really sure what this was all about, where they were going to go or what they were going to do. And it's really absolutely fantastic to see their growth over four years. So again, I think that's why most of us do this. But really quickly, uh, the admission cycle from our uh, side of the desk really falls into three main phases. So during the fall, we're going out to the high schools. This past fall, I visited exactly 100 high schools and did about 20 college fairs. If you really want to make somebody's day, stop and talk to them. <laughs> I'm a diamond member at Hilton. I have all the points in the world. I get really tired of spending days in hotels talking to the walls. So if you want to make a college rep today, say hi. <laughs> like we absolutely love to talk to people. That's why we're out on the road, because we want to connect with students and, again, help them figure out what that next, fit is, uh, next step is going to be. During the winter, we really transition more into the reading season. So I read about 30 applications every day, which is pretty typical for um, somebody in admissions so often people will say how long do you spend on a file and um, well regardless of what you ask somebody in admissions they're probably going to say it depends uh, you could say you know how's the weather today an admissions officer will say it depends um, but nonetheless we spend a lot of time in the winter really kind of moving through those files and then right about now we start to transition into the yield season so what that means is we're working with our admitted students and trying to figure out what they're actually going to do and that's really exciting and it's kind of stressful for everybody all at the same time because there's a certain amount of students we have to bring in and then there's only so many beds that we have on campus. So the thing that you can do to really help us out, as soon as you've made your decision, let the schools that have accepted your daughter know because even if the answer is, hey, we've decided to go somewhere else, 
that's okay. Nobody's going to be mad. We can help them. We can offer that um, seat to somebody else. So um, those are kind of the three main events or the three main phases of the year. And then during the spring, we're doing a lot of open houses, scholarship days, a lot of other things to, again, try to help families figure out whether or not this is where they want to be. But um, as far as Colleges That Change Lives is concerned, just by a quick show of hands, has anybody heard of Colleges That Change Lives before? Okay, some people. Uh, so back in 1996, Lauren Pope wrote the first edition of the book, and Pope was a former education editor of the New York Times, and he was also a private college counselor. And the first book he wrote prior to writing Colleges That Change Lives was called Looking Beyond the Ivy League. He really felt that there were a lot of fantastic options that are out there if people are willing to kind of think beyond the rankings and some of the typical schools that students always towards to gra tend to gravitate to. He felt that if you're willing to think outside the box, there's a lot of really great options that are out there. So people would always say, you know, what schools do you recommend? And he always kind of had this framework, this philosophy, but finally he gave in and he actually wrote a book and he put 40 schools in there that he really, again, felt were doing big things, but just didn't always get the attention that he thought that they deserved. So there's been four editions of the book. Um, it was actually kind of funny. Some of the schools in the first edition ended up dropping out because they thought that they had arrived and they had made it, and that was ironic because that was the entire opposite, more or less, of what the philosophy was all about. Um, and some schools have come in. At Lynchburg, we're really fortunate that we have been in all four editions of the book. And most of the schools, well, all of the schools in there are pretty small. He personally was big on the small school experience, but even if a student is looking for a larger school, I still think his framework of focusing on fit more so than rankings and what sticker do I want to put on my car and all these other things that people kind of do, I think that's applicable to really any type of school that a student is looking for. Even if, again, you're not interested in the schools in the book, I encourage you to read the first one or two chapters where he just explains his framework. He does a really good job of just kind of lowering that stress level because I know from having done this for a few years, families are often really, really stressed out about this. And I say that this process doesn't have to be dreadful. I promise. It's really only stressful if you're looking at a really small slice of the overall college admissions pie. So hopefully, um, if you are familiar with CTCL, kind of dig back into it. If you've never heard of it before, I encourage you to take a look. I really do think that there's a lot of good things inside the book. Um, on the back table, I put our chapter, so if you want to kind of learn a little bit more about us, you can take a look at this. We used to give out the entire book. That got really expensive, so we don't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> but if you want to take a look at our chapter, it's back there. And then you can find a copy of that book pretty much anywhere. You don't necessarily need to go and buy a copy. And by the way, we get no money from book sales. Um, the national tour, we go around the country. There's four tours. We go to most of the big cities. I've been on each of the tour of the tours, and the schools got together and formed a nonprofit. So this whole philosophy of, of focusing on fit is actually the 40 schools. We all came together, and then we, again, do a tour every summer. So a lot of people say, that's great. You must be making money off of this book. We're not, I promise. Um, in fact, the publisher probably wouldn't love this, but um, enjoy it. Thank you so much, Will. Um, I have a few questions to start us off with, and then we will be collecting your questions. We'll be collecting those note cards so we can continue to ask our panelists. And Greta or Will, whoever wants to, to take the first question, please um, feel free to come on up here. Um, so our first question is, 
What are some ways to learn about a university's community and strengths? And what questions should students be asking? If at any point I say anything that doesn't make sense, please say so. Um, every now and then, <laughs> I once had a student, not that you care, who had asked about like engineering or something, but I misunderstood, and I talked about a completely different major for five or ten minutes, and the poor student didn't correct me. So again, <laughs> if something doesn't make sense or you have questions, please jump in. But um, I would say that first and foremost, visit, if at all possible. And when coming to the visit, please come in with an open mind. I think often students show up to a school and they've already decided that this is my dream institution and you know it could honestly be a pretty not great experience but if they have already decided that that's their dream school then sometimes students kind of ignore some things that should maybe be red flags then on the flip side of that if you've decided to visit a school please give it a fair chance you know sometimes people come in and they've already decided that this isn't gonna work in which you know, we're, we're happy that you came, but I'm also like, well, if, if you're not into this, why, why'd you come? So again, we encourage a visit, but please come in with an open mind and kind of step back and just absorb it all. I always say be a sponge and absorb and just kind of see what your gut feeling is on a place. Um, and I think that's another thing you'll hear a lot is people say it kind of comes down to just what feels right. And I know when you're at the beginning of, of this process, you're saying, well, great, what does that mean? And I think that the more time you spend on campus, the better um, feel you can kind of get for that. And I always recommend two visits, one at the beginning of the process when you're trying to say, do I want to apply here? And then secondly, after you've been accepted, to go back and see it again, because I think it's a really different place to be. Um, again, at first you're thinking, do I even want to bother putting in the application? But once you've been accepted, it's okay, they want me, do I see myself here? So oftentimes when we see students uh, multiple times, we'll kind of see with each visit, they're looking at it from a little bit of a different angle. And I recognize that takes time, energy, effort, and money, but if it's a school that you're really serious about, I do recommend at least two visits. Um, you can come and see us every day if you want. We're absolutely happy to have you. Um, so, and again, like I said earlier, if you have questions, reach out and ask. Often I hear people saying stuff that just doesn't make sense at all, and then I realize that all these rumors go around and people never stop to actually ask how something works. So reach out, we're all happy to help. Um, and just don't be afraid to dig a little bit deeper. Again, I know there's so much just kind of stress and craziness that's out there. Don't be afraid just to dig and really kind of find out for yourself. That could be my fault. I may have encouraged uh, <laughs> <laughs> participation too soon. So just a few things from my perspective. I think questions that students should be asking on college tours are things you can't find on websites. Although, like, I definitely was that student who showed up to the college tour and was like, your website said that 96%, blah, 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 blah. The college students who are giving admissions tours don't need the students to tell them what was on the website because those college students might not have looked at the website. So help your student create um, creative questions like what do students do on the weekends? What is their favorite thing to eat? What do they do when they miss their family? I think 
to get a sense of like the types of students that go there. Because if you're gonna have a student look back at you and go, I never miss my family, that might affect your student or the food's terrible here is important to learn. Um, those are important things to learn about. I mean, sometimes when you're going to a school in a big city like Catholic University, a lot of students say, I go out into the city, that makes sense. What exactly are our students doing? Are they going to museums? Are they going to bookstores? Are they eating out all the time and trying new food? Is, is one of those answers gonna interest your students? So they can be like, I think I can make some friends here. So I think that's really important. Um, and if the university that you're looking at offers an overnight experience, I know that was really transformative for me when I was applying to college. Now I was terrified to do it, but my mom told me she was close by and that made me feel better. Um, I loved one, I loved my overnight experience at Catholic. I spent an entire day with a student and it was awkward because I didn't really talk when I was a senior in college, but that student talked my ear off because they loved Catholic University. And I went to her classes with her, I went to her club meeting with her at the end of the night. I was like, this is interesting, this is cool. I got to see that she could do whatever she wanted and that was really fun. And then I did another one and I absolutely hated it. And I, that was my dream school. So that was really transformative for me to kind of have the bubble bursted. It was really hard for me, but I felt uncomfortable with the conversations the student was engaging me in. And this might not be encouraging you to do this, but I, it was really helpful for me. <laughs> um, so those are just some of my things to add on to what, what Will had to say is talking to current students on your visits, I think is really important. My mom made me go up to people in like the university coffee shop and ask them questions. And while it made me wildly uncomfortable, I, I think it was important to do that. Thank you, I love those insights on creative questions. We know that there's so many great um, resources when it comes to College Board or it comes to Princeton Review questions that you can ask on college tours, but having your own creative questions can be really great and also make your tours a more fun experience as you compare. Um, so we're gonna go to another one of our questions for our speakers. What, what criteria do you use to evaluate fit in a student's application? And this is specifically for Will. And I'll add one last thing I forgot to mention on the last question. Um, if for some reason a student is not connecting with the tour guide or a professor, stop and ask, is this representative of the entire student body or did I just meet one person that for some reason I'm not connecting with? I think sometimes students, um, for whatever reason, they, they won't connect with the tour guide and then they'll say, well, therefore I don't like the school. And yes, listen to your gut when you're seeing something that's concerning, but secondly, don't be afraid to say, this could just be one person. So don't let one bad interaction interaction um, kind of turn you off from a school that's otherwise a good fit. But if you begin to see a pattern, that's when I would become more concerned. But anyway, as far as fit on the application, like I said earlier, it depends of course. Just kidding. <laughs> um, so first and foremost, of course, we're gonna look at that academic fit. Um, at the end of the day, we need to admit students that we think are gonna be successful. That's really important to us. Like I said earlier, we want students who are going to come and be happy and thrive. And part of that is we need to see an academic background that, again, we feel is truly ready for college. So of course, we're gonna look at the academic piece of it. But for us, we're really big on involvement. We say that involvement is an expectation, not necessarily an option. So we want to see that a student has been involved somehow, some way, 
and maybe showcases a willingness to be involved in college as well. Now, I think that quality is more important than quantity, so don't feel like you need to join every club that exists and then not really do anything with it because that's not what we want a student to do once they get on our campus. You know, we want them to come and be involved and contribute in really meaningful ways. So we want to see that students have done that somehow, some way. But again, I also encourage students that sometimes they kind of get to that junior, that senior year, and they say, you know, I've done a little bit here and there, but I don't feel like I have really found meaningful involvement yet. And that's okay. You know, I think sometimes students recognize that they're still trying to figure this all out. So, you know, if a student is not the president of the SGA as a freshman, that's okay. You know, we look for growth in this whole process, of course. And the essay and the letters of recommendation are really important because that's a student's voice. That's the opportunity to talk directly to us. We read everything that comes in, absolutely. And without the essay, without the letters of recommendation, we have a pretty good idea of what students do, but we don't necessarily know why they do what they do. And I think that's really meaningful. So we wanna get a sense of, okay, I see that you've done this activity, but why is that important to you? And I also encourage students not to try too hard on the essay. I think sometimes, it's actually kind of funny, you can tell they had a thesaurus out or something and they're using a bunch of really just bizarre words and like, I don't even know what this means. Like, um, that's obviously not how you would normally speak. So yes, this is important. Yes, this is formal. We don't want typos and such, but we recognize that high schoolers are well, high schoolers, we get that. So it doesn't need to be overly stuffy and formal for us. And of course, um, this is simply our approach to it. But again, we really just like to hear the student's voice. And it's absolutely fascinating when we see a student who you can just, it's almost like you're having a conversation with them. That's the best type of essay to take a look at for sure. Okay. Now for a fun one. Do you have some examples for parents of what not to do? <laughs> um, I don't know if I have examples because I'm not in admissions per se, but just from my experience, I think it goes without saying to let your students speak for themselves. They're the ones that are attending the university. Before you all arrived, we were talking about that and how they're the ones that need to be happy there. I'm sure you all have hopes and dreams for your students, and I'm sure they have their own too, but we want them to be happy. We want them to pick their school and finish at that school. And if they're the ones asking the questions, or maybe not asking the questions, maybe that's the type of experience they need to have at that school that day, and just respecting them and allowing them to have that. Um, probably hard to believe, but I was a much more timid student when it came to um, applying for colleges. So my mom and I would sit down before each visit and kind of talk about our game plan. And she already knew why I liked the schools because she had to approve those application fees. Um, but she would ask me like what I had learned from looking at the websites and what I wanted to ask the students there. And she would kind of help me a little bit. She didn't ask the questions for me, but she'd remind me, oh, you wanted to ask about campus ministry. We're right outside campus ministry. And it helped in some cases and in some I just stood there with my mouth glued shut. Um, but I think allowing them to get a sense and have those conversations because they might end up at the front of the tour with the tour guide gabbing the whole time because they asked the question. So just letting them, letting them do that. So I think that um, a big issue we have on college campuses is mental health. That's not a Lynchburg problem, that's just a higher ed problem. 
And I think that um, often students end up in situations that are not ideal. And sometimes it's because a parent said, more or less makes the decision, to be totally honest with you. And I think that we have to keep in mind that, yes, the parent's voice absolutely matters. And you have experience and insight that the student simply doesn't have. But it has to be the student's choice, you know, um, more or less telling students, you know, you got into a school that's ranked number 25. I recognize that you like the school ranked 26, but you're going to 25 because it's one slot ahead of 26. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. That just doesn't make sense. And we see this all the time. Likewise, we'll see students who say, hey, I'm really interested in university XYZ. And you'll see parents that say, no, that school's not good. We're not going to go there. And when I'm at a college fair, I have to just stand behind my table and kind of smile and nod. But in my mind, I'm like, what's good for you is not good for somebody else. You know, there's, I, it always kind of amazes me when people will just paint with such a broad brush as to say, that's a good school. That school's not good. Whereas, again, this is a highly individualized process. So please, please, please don't be open. Um, don't be closed minded. Please be open minded. Because I think that these rankings and all of this stuff that people kind of get really stressed out over, I think that kind of begins with the parents. Yes, the students look at that, but if the parents will kind of challenge students to think a little bit deeper about this whole process, I think that, again, will take some of the stress off of everybody's plate. And um, secondly, please be nice. Please be nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, it's amazing to me. Um, just some of the nastiness we've seen sometimes, to be totally honest with you. And again, it's normally not the students. And I know you're all very nice people, don't get me wrong. Um, but just some of the little comments. I mean, again, when, if you've ever been to a college fair, you'll kind of see that the college reps just kind of stand back and they soak it all in. So we have a lot of time just to kind of observe what's going on. And it's very, very fascinating. And often we see a lot of positive things happening. But again, you'll overhear some things and you're like, that's just not the way we need to approach this. So please, please, please. Encourage your students to have an open mind, and please be nice. <laughs> All right. This is our last question, and then we'll turn it over to the note cards. We have some great questions coming in. Can you tell us about how efforts across your university impact student success and graduation rates? This is basically my office's wheelhouse. We also are the office that puts on orientation. And while it's a very similar program every single year, we are constantly tweaking it and changing it to make sure that those four days are preparing our students for the, the whole school year because we have to teach them how to be a college student, essentially a crash course in four days. So my the director of my office is really big on never saying that's how we did it last year because we're not getting the same students every year. So because we don't have anyone pressuring us to do the same things every year, to have the same events, to bring the same speakers to campus, we can constantly be evaluating our students' needs, and that's really important to us. Um, as a student affairs professional, that's why I wanted to go into this field, because of the value that it puts on the outside of the classroom experience and the fact that we are constantly thinking about the student's sense of belonging. That's why we call residence halls residence halls and not dorms because we want them to cultivate a life there for it to become a residence and not just a place to sleep. And that's something that's very important to Catholic. Um, if you call a residence hall a dorm in front of our director of residence life, she'll practically cut your arm off. So be very careful <laughs> if you ever work there, she wouldn't do it to you. Um, but I think that 
that's something that is really important to Catholic is thinking about what our students need. It's not what we need. It's not what's going to be the best picture for the cover of our magazine. It's like our students are really interested in trivia. So we're going to host one every week. It might seem redundant to the outside community, but that's what our students are needing. So that's what we're going to do. And we really do take their voice into account so that we can have the proper supports for them. So I think when you're looking at schools, listening for people that are talking like this and saying that they want to listen and make changes based off of what students want and seeing if those actually happen, do they start a new student organization because there's no astronomy club? That's important because if your student's interested in astronomy, they should be able to start astronomy club. So we have, of course, a very similar, um, well, actually, I don't know what your orientation uh, entails per se, but um, assuming it's a quality product, we also have a quality <laughs> orientation. Um, we're really big on that first year experience, and we've really started digging into the second year experience as well, because we have found, um, and nationally, there's a big conversation about that second year, because most schools have a, a pretty decent first year experience at this point, but we have found that second year students are still asking some really big questions. That's when they generally really tend to dig into that major, and I'll use nursing for, nursing is our number one uh, major, by the way, and a lot of people will get into nursing and say, you know, I really don't like science, I don't like blood, and I don't like people. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we should probably talk about that. <laughs> So that second year, or, or maybe for some reason a really close friend didn't come back, or there's been a change at home. I mean, there's still some really big things happening that second year, so we're really there to kind of help really continue that momentum from the first year and kind of build that into the second year, because if we build the bridge to year number three, chances are a student is going to retain and graduate and be happy and successful and all those things that we, of course, want. Um, we just changed around our advising model a little bit, uh, built some new buildings because we know that students like that. Um, <laughs> Which is really funny when people say, I can't believe how expensive higher ed is. Well, that's because you want resort type amenities is <laughs> what I'm thinking, but what I don't say. <laughs> um, so, and um, student-centered teaching faculty, grad school pathway programs. We have a really popular DPT and PA program, so we built some kind of pathway programs into that. So we're really big on helping students just kind of see that pathway all the way through. That's important to us, and that has really helped um, graduation rates and retention rates, which are above national average for schools of our type. All right, the part that you've been waiting for. Okay, so here's one about financial fit. Um, for our family, college choices will be determined um, by tuition prices. Um, honestly, sometimes colleges like this seem cost prohibitive. How much aid do you offer? Um, we are concentrating on Virginia public schools as we think our Virginia prepaid college savings will go further there. So this is a question of comparing those in-state schools and private schools and um, Please let me know your thoughts on that. <laughs> so students always say, how's the food? Can I bring my car? And how are the residence halls? Parents always say, how much is this going to cost? Um, every single time. So um, I'll just use us as an example because I'm, of course, pretty familiar with what we do. So our sticker price, room board, tuition fees, everything included is about $54,000 each year. The average cost per student per year is about $22,000 each year. 
it's a huge, to be totally honest with you, it's an uphill battle. We face this every single day. A lot of families say, I'm going to look at an in-state public school because it's cheaper. And I absolutely understand why families sometimes think that that's true. But I can tell you that if you look at Lynchburg, if you take a look at a Roanoke or some of the private schools, we can drastically get the price down. Um, for us, most students who are looking at Lynchburg are also looking at a public school. So if we don't get the cost down, nobody's going to come to us. People come, they visit, they love it. Um, the student visits, we have about a one in three chance of them depositing to enroll. So they come and they really like it, but normally the big question is, is this going to be affordable? And I understand it. When you look and you see that sticker price, most families just say I, no and they walk away. But if you kind of let us go through the process, again, the average cost per student per year is about $22,000. So I would just encourage you to... Um, really look beyond those sticker prices because the private schools can really get this down because we're feeling the pressure from the public schools. We have to get the cost down. That's really important to us. One last thing that the public schools probably won't mention, and I've got a lot of great colleagues at the public schools. We love them and we respect them. But have you ever heard of the Virginia Tuition Assistance Grant? So you get about $3,000. If you live in Virginia, you get $3,000 about um, from the state government each year for choosing a Virginia private school. That really begins to help close the gaps. So we do a lot of merit-based aid. Um, we have plenty of need-based aid. We can be generous with that. But just for being accepted, we knock $20,000 off. I mean, the minimum. Our average GPA is about a 3.5. If a student is a little bit below that, they get a minimum of $20,000. That comes with your acceptance letter, and that's a twenty dollars to $24,000 award that comes with your acceptance. If the GPA comes up during the senior year, we'll always look for ways to give you more money. Um, now, if for some reason they hit a rough patch and the GPA goes down, we're not going to knock the award down. We'll only give you more money. So uh, we, we really do want to do as much as we can to help get the price down because we realize that that is often a, a source of tremendous stress. And we get that and we understand that. And please file the FAFSA. I see all the time families say, we're not going to get anything. I'm not going to do it. About 90% of our families that enroll did file the FAFSA. So what that tells us is we're doing something with that data to help make it affordable. So even if you do not receive federal aid, there's still a really good chance that we can do something institutionally from our end of it. And last but not least, please look at the aid packages very, very, very carefully. Different schools put together packages in different ways. And I've had families call and say, hey, I'm going to go to such and such university. They're cheaper. And I know there's no way that's true. So I say, well... You know, are, are you sure about that? And they're like, yeah, I have a bigger scholarship there. I'm like, well, they're more expensive. So you're starting higher, right? You know, I mean, people don't always think these things through. And I don't want to insult your intelligence. I know that you, that would not happen to you. But aid packages are not always easy to understand. Um, we make ours as easy as possible to understand because, again, like I said earlier, we want you to find the right fit. And financial fit is a big piece of that. So I apologize if that's a long-winded explanation. But um, I recognize that's very important. Well, I'll be having you right back up here. Do you have an honors program? And if yes, uh, what criteria does a student need to meet for the program? And what advantages are there to a student in an honors program? So the answer is yes, we have an honors program. It's called the Westover Honors Program. It's normally going to take a GPA kind of up in the 4.0 range. Now, with that being said, we recognize that grading scales are drastically different depending on where you go to school. So, of course, we're going to look at the um, grades, the curriculum, all that good stuff as well. The honors faculty makes that um, recommendation as well as the ultimate decision. So when you apply to Lynchburg, 
and um, if a student is qualified for honors, of course, we're going to accept them. The honors faculty will then review our completed applications. You don't have to fill out anything else, and then um, invitations go out about this time of year, sometimes a little bit earlier. So it's a fantastic program. Uh, they come, they're one of the first groups to come to campus. They do a retreat every year. They have priority course scheduling. Some of the gen ed classes are replaced with some honors only seminars. And it's kind of a community within a community. And kind of the big thing that they do is the vast majority of them will go on to graduate school. Often some of those kind of big name schools, and as you probably picked up, we're not really into the rankings and all that good stuff. But if that's important to you, we've had some very, very strong grad school placement and they often go for free because they've been doing grad level research as an undergrad. That's the advantage of a teaching focused institution. So I had a meeting just yesterday with our uh, dean of our school of social studies, social sciences, excuse me, and she's just brilliant. And she said, how come more people don't know about what we have to offer? And I said, we just have to take that message and get it out. So, I mean, it's amazing. You see these PhDs who are saying, hey, bring me more students. I want to help them. I want to mentor them. And then when you're looking at grad school, admissions, you have a faculty member that knows who you are. You've been collaborating. And I mean, it happens all the time. You see undergraduate students doing research that they want to do and the faculty members helping them. I mean, that just doesn't happen often to see an undergrad saying, hey, I want to research this. And the faculty member says, okay, let's do it. I'll put my research to the side. I mean, again, that just does not always happen. So, and that uh, is one of the things that the honors program guarantees. If a student is not honors, there's still a good chance that something like that may occur, but honors write is required to write a thesis and to do some pretty heavy lifting with the um, research. Okay, I think this is a question for me. Um, why are letters of recommendation not shared with students? So you can correct me if I'm wrong here, um, but we hear oftentimes that universities also consider letters of recommendation more official and more candid when they are confidential. So in the same way, if I'm speaking about a student and giving glowing remarks, sincere remarks about her character and the wonderful um, acts of service that she's done, speaking to her personality, it m is more meaningful. It, it's, it means more if she's not an audience member, if her parents are not audience members, right? So that gives us a sense, um, and it is, it is um, considered the best practice to have those as confidential letters of recommendation. But that is a good question for us as well. Okay, this is regarding the mental health issue mentioned. What advice do you have um, for a student who is at college um, to keep your finger on the, on the pulse, to see how the student is continuing to do? Um, beyond calling every day, which may not work. <laughs> Um, what should we as parents be on the lookout for or what should we be asking schools when we visit related to this growing issue? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the first thing that I would do with your student is talk to them about your communication that you want to have while they're at school. Ask them what they think about that. When do you want to talk to me? Should we set up weekly phone calls, bi-weekly phone calls? Like, as if you were dating someone, like when are we gonna talk type of thing. Kind of give your student the respect that they are entering college, they're living outside your home potentially. Um, and if they have buy-in into that, they might be more willing to make it a regular thing and you won't be like tracking them down and begging them to answer their phone. So that's what 
my suggestion um, with that part. And then in terms of what questions you should be asking, ask about the counseling center, if the university has one or their wellness center, whatever they happen to call that. Um, if it's not advertised online, ask how many sessions students receive. Depending on the university, sometimes they offer five free sessions, unlimited free sessions. I know at Catholic, it's 45 free one-hour sessions your entire career there. So um, I, I can't remember the exact way it pans out, but I think that's like regular visits for three and a half semesters or something like that. So that is obviously really important to, to Catholic University is being able to not make cost another barrier added on to that. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's what I have on it. Um, and the, the parent also noted something about campus ministry as part of that question too. And I know that that's something that our students are often asking about. Maybe it's also, is there a church nearby? Um, what resources are available in town? So I think that can be very important. And again, how we find lifelines looking at universities too. What are some of the best questions a prospective student has asked you? That's a good question. Um, and I forgot to mention earlier, if you're curious about the honors program, I put a stack of handouts in the back over there. Um, I would love it if you took those so I don't have to take them back with me. Um, I, I don't know, though. I'd have to think about it. As soon as I get in my car, I'll think of several. Um, we used to have an absolute, our mascot is a hornet. We used to have an absolutely awful cutout. Um, it was not the entire body, it was just the head. It looked like Ant-Man, and I had a student flip it upside down, and she said it looks like a spaceship, and that was pretty cool. Um, it, it, it's always fascinating to me when students kind of hit something from a completely different angle. Angle, jeez, I know that's a silly example, and that's not a question, but I don't know. I'm trying to think. Um, it, it can be anything. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a little comment like that or a question. I, the students never cease to amaze me. I love it when they ask something that I haven't thought about before, but, um, so again, sometimes it's stuff that's kind of silly, but in, in all honesty, I think that just thinking beyond something I get all the time, I'll tell you what a good question is not, and that is how's your biology program? And every college rep in the world is gonna say good. Um, that's not helpful at all. So I would say what makes your institution unique is probably a really good question to ask. Um, when you start to dig into the programs, you'll see a lot of differences with different types of institutions. So maybe if you're looking at a big school and a small school, kind of say, how would you compare and contrast this? Maybe ask, what is your favorite thing about being there? I mean, we're all there because we love it, presumably. So just to kind of recognize the fact that the college rep is a real person and you know, they probably have some favorite traditions and such. So I would just encourage you to keep the human element in the process. You know, we're real people. Uh, we're not robots. Um, again, you don't have to be, at least for us, you don't have to be overly formal and stuffy. So just to kind of get our approach. And I think, again, probably the best questions are going to be something like, what makes you stand out? What makes you unique? So I mentioned earlier the colleges that change lives tour. So the 40 schools travel together over the summer. And that that's interesting because the executive director says, be ready to talk about what makes you stand out. Because most of those 40 schools, if you go and see them at a college fair, they're gonna use that as their claim to fame or a CTCO school. Well, when the only people in the room are CTCO schools, you have to be ready to dig a little bit deeper. So um, 
and if you're curious, I could tell you what the answer is for us. I won't bore you with that right now, but um, well, I'll tell you. I say that we're a small school field with big school opportunities. I think at the end of the day, that's really what kind of Lynchburg is all about, and there's different examples of that. And again, I can dig a little bit deeper later perhaps. So I'm kind of rambling because that was a really good question. I didn't have something at first, but I think that that's ultimately what I would encourage you to do. <laughs> On average, how much debt do your graduates graduate with? Um, see me afterwards. I'll give you my business card. I haven't seen updated figures. Uh, I want to give you accurate information. I'll be happy to find out for you. Um, I don't have that figure off the top of my head, but let me know um, who you are. I'll give you my information. I'll be happy to check on that. Um, you both might have an answer for this question, thinking about it a different way. What do you think about the trend of having students go to community college for two years and transferring into a four-year college in junior year? I think that really depends on the student. They're gonna face unique challenges kind of either way. If they're not ready to live away from the home or and to think about four years of their life, we're, we've talked about this, that's a big chunk of time then allowing them two years to make a slower transition might work really well for them. Um, but then they're gonna, it is challenging. I've seen it be challenging for students to transfer in halfway through their time at the school. Um, transfer orientation isn't four days, it's just one day. Um, because there's less information you have to pass along to transfer students because they have been doing it for two years. We often see that sometimes transfer students have a little bit of a tougher exterior because they say, oh, I've been doing college for two years. I don't need you to tell me about registering for classes. I know how to do that. So that does face a unique set of challenges once they're at the university that they decide to finish their career at. But then again, if they started their career at that university and they didn't feel ready to be away from the home, to be at a bigger institution, how is that gonna look academically for them, mental health-wise for them? So I think it's really determining the student's needs um, I can speak from slightly personal experience. I went to a four-year college, I went to Catholic, I loved it, I was like, miss college, I did everything, like I work there now, I wear the school colors at least three times a week. My little sister did not wanna go to school, um, went to community college and it afforded her a lot of different experiences that weren't necessarily school related. Um, she went through the training pro um, process with Chick-fil-A and might open her own Chick-fil-A and that's not something that would have happened if she went away to school and went to a four-year school but we're completely different, but she's ending up just as successful as I am in a completely different way. Um, so, and I think she had a really hard time making that decision because of what I did. Um, her college essay was about conforming to me her entire life, which was, <laughs> no, it was beautiful. Like it was, she grew a lot by writing it and I think I'm really proud of her, but that was right for her. So I think it's, it's different these days, but it is more common and she was just able to kind of make a slower transition because she wouldn't have been able to live without my parents and do her laundry and eat she just wouldn't have eaten like I'm we're pretty sure she wouldn't have eaten so <laughs> yeah I think that's my kind of slap professional and personal opinion on that yeah I'll just add one quick thing about that is if that's the path you want to go I think that's a perfectly fine route there's nothing wrong with that of course but um, reach out to the schools you're interested in transferring to sooner rather than later so that we can say hey we really need this particular biology course or um, we always say if you start a foreign language at a community college be sure to finish it there because uh, those do not always break off at the same place between the sections of 101 and 102 so as the sooner you reach out the better would be my only piece of advice there
have a couple more cards, but we can keep collecting or see if you have a, a few more questions for us. This is one um, for us at Oakcrest. How much of an influence does geography have on Oakcrest grads, meaning do they tend to stay close? And if so, is that typical? And we were just discussing this a little bit about um, preferences, how in the last year we see a, a warm weather preference. Um, so we see a lot of times maybe this state or further south, um, but still um, it helps to keep our lives interesting that we do see students go west, go in the Midwest, um, that will go sometimes interested in University of Navarra, interested in going to Spain. So it does um, keep our lives in interesting that we do see diversity on where our schools, our students will go. And just in the last question, the same point was made that it depends on the student you know, that some students know they really want to be closer to home or within a five-hour radius. You know, that's why we ask those questions in our questionnaire. We want our students to really discern that and what is what is the right fit for them. Um, when I was in Atlanta area, I noticed that I would ask who wants is interested in UGA, and everybody would raise their hands. Everybody was interested in that. Um, we see a little bit more diversity here and a little bit of a willingness to go away, but it does very much depend on the student. Okay. Now I have, what do you recommend during the visit? So during a college visit, and um, what should you look for or pay attention to? So I would say, I always say take the official tour. So yes, take the time to kind of wander around afterwards if you're able to do so, but definitely do go on the official tour and kind of hear what the, the school officially has to say. And pay attention to the little things. So schools of are generally going to take you in their fancy brand new building, but if y they kind of wander past something and don't say what it is, don't be afraid to say, hey, what's that? Um, or... You know, I think that you can always ask the tour guys to say, hey, what is your personal opinion about something if you want? Sometimes they're going to really stick to a script and may not give you much, but other times they may kind of, you know, move beyond the official talking points a little bit. So I would just encourage you to kind of hear what the school has to say, hear the official marketing, et cetera, but also kind of read between the lines and kind of connect the dots on your own as well. I would say pay attention to the students that go to the university when you're in the buildings that you visit, like in the dining hall. Are they sitting at a table together on their phones? Are they talking to each other? What are they wearing? Um, like what kind of conversations are you overhearing? Just try and get a, a vibe for those sorts of things. When you go in the library, do you see anybody walk by? Is that a building that people actually go to? Um, just little things like that I would pay attention to. You don't mind my jumping in here. <laughs> I've been through this a few times, and um, one thing that I always have my kids do is look at the posters hanging up on the bulletin boards. What kind of speakers are they having come to the school? Um, what kind of events, what kind of clubs? Go into the library and see what the book displays are. Um, and, and as you mentioned, look at the students. When, when you see two groups of students passing each other, do they say hello? I mean, just simple things like that. What kind of interaction do you see between students? If it's a beautiful day, 
Are there students outside throwing the Frisbee? Um, are they sitting on the lawn hanging out together? Or is everybody holed up either in the library or in their dorm room? So just um, you know, look, look for those, those sort of hints about what's, what's going on after the official tour. <laughs> Catherine's comment made me think about a time that I visited a university and I saw a lot of students kind of downcast and it was a gray day and they were looking at their books and their phone and seemed a little isolated but I found out it was their finals week so I tried to give them a little leeway. Have applicants submitted personal mementos? This would be for you, Will. Have they submitted personal mementos or other unique supplemental items to their application? And does this hurt or help? So something out of the box, something other than the essay that you traditionally see. I think most people would tell you to do what the school asks you to do, but don't feel like you need to reinvent the wheel either. You know, I, I think normally we ask for what we need to see, but if we don't ask for something, you don't necessarily need to add anything else. Um, I once had a student send um, just a, a binder kind of like this with a ton of really interesting stuff in it. It's sitting in my closet. Um, it'll go in the recycling if I ever leave. Um, you know, no offense to that student, but I mean, I if you mail stuff like this to us, we have nothing to do with it. I mean, I look at it, I'm like, this is kind of cool. My colleague across the hall was like, you know, it's kind of nice, but they would be admitted regardless. Yeah, they were, yeah, yeah, it, they were completely admissible. And actually, that brings up an interesting point. So, for letters of recommendation, for us, that's optional. You can send none, you can send a lot. The students who normally don't send any need them. Uh, the ones who send six normally could get by without it. So it's pretty typical to see um, a highly qualified student thinks that they need to kind of go above and beyond. And I would say, hey, you're fine. You know, you're, you're within our average parameters. You look good. Come and check out the campus. Don't feel like you need to, again, send us a fancy notebook or anything. I mean, again, if, if your heart is set on it, I'll take a look at it. Um, but that's a lot of money and time. So I would say just kind of focus on what the college really needs to see now. If there's something that you think we need to know that the application for some reason just doesn't get at, give me a call. I'll be happy to talk to you if there's some sort of special circumstance. But as far as just kind of going above and beyond, don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel would be my personal approach to that. All right, so those are all the note card questions that we have for now, but I just want to take a moment to thank you all so much for coming and for your thoughtful questions. This is so important. You are such an important part of this process and you take your, you take your daughters on these tours and um, we're just so thankful that you spent your evening with us. Please feel free to linger. We do have some extra time for the next 15 minutes. If you, if you wanna you know, have some wine, have some hors d'oeuvres, ask us individual questions, um, please do so. Thank you again.